0: It has been a while, but we are back. I'm Rusty, joined by Ifo Bumaye.
1: Formerly known as Special Guest.
0: Formerly known as Special Guest. We now have a permanent name for him. Um,
1: I have stepped out of the darkness and into the light.
0: Yeah, find him on Facebook. Catch him outside.
1: One of us. One of us.
0: It has been a... uh, a few crazy weeks for Oregon football and basketball it's uh, spring game happened learned a lot of stuff there but this basketball team coming together I don't know how I don't know how Altman does it like it was I just I just kind of expect to just show up show up at the beginning of next season like all right, what do we have who's here
1: I mean, a final four trip never hurts. Um, you're probably referencing uh, the not-quite-breaking news, but you know, news from today. We, uh, Depending on the recruiting service that you look at, we either locked up a four- or five-star commitment from uh, in the class of 2018. He's uh, power forward, Miles Norris. Catch him on Twitter. But seriously, don't tweet at recruits because uh, that's a shitty thing to do we allowed to swear on this podcast?
0: Yeah, you can say whatever you want. not <laughs> right. anything you want. Like, like not anything you want, like. All right, moving on. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so this Pick is. Pick a person who says dumb things and then don't say that stuff. Th-
1: this is uh, really awesome for us. Uh, this guy is a post-presence. Can, can, I mean, he's just, a, he's, he's gonna fall. Uh he will definitely help without uh, the loss of Jordan Bell. Uh, apparently Cavell is transferring now, although we haven't really heard much about that. Um, you know, granted, it was just a verbal commitment. It's still a year away. Uh, but the fact that Dana and the entire coaching staff is capitalizing on the Final Four run, um, not just with... This upcoming recruiting class uh, with Troy Brown Jr. and Victor Bailey Jr. We got a whole bunch of juniors coming in, um, but also looking for you know future recruiting classes that just bodes well. And we're, we might not even be done for this year. Uh, we got apparently Brian Bowen was on campus. Uh, he's a McDonald's All-American. He's apparently the 13th ranked player in the country according to ESPN. Uh, according to 24-7, he's the 18th ranked player in the country. I mean, that'd be a huge get. Um, after the loss of Dylan Brooks, after Tyler Dorsey leaving, um, you know, if you can restack with two five-stars, that would be giant.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how. I don't know how Altman does it. It's interesting... So I was listening to uh, like the Behind the Bets podcast that Chad Melman does with ESPN. For the most part, it's not awesome. It's not a great podcast. But they had I was listening to uh, this one professional sports better, which was like the guy for college basketball for like a couple of decades, um, and he was giving his takes on the coaches leading up to the final four and giving his predictions. And he was very critical of many of the best coaches. He thinks Coach K is a guy who can recruit, but his offenses and defenses are overly simplistic. Anybody with working knowledge of basketball can just stop them entirely, which it was really funny hearing someone who like makes their living off of betting on sports talk so openly about things, but he was He said that he thinks Altman is one of the top coaches in the country, but he was 100% sure of that. He's like, you put Altman up against almost any other coach, and I will pay Altman as the better one.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, what's been interesting to me is, well, first of all, I I 100% agree. Um, You see that in his team's consistently outperforming expectations. Um, I mean, even this past year, when maybe the team got off to a slower start you know, ranked to the top five in preseason polls in this past season um, fell as low as I think maybe even out of the top 25 but definitely as low as you know mid20s um, and then all of a sudden he gets his team ready for the end of the season you know we make a good conference run and then we get get to the final four um so you see that he's a quality coach in that he always teams always perform at expectations um and he just consistently brings guys in that fit his system um he consistently makes really good adjustments over the course of a game um and always comes in with a really good game plan at the start of the game as well um i mean we we got lucky with data and, you know, we better just lock him up and hope he doesn't go anywhere. I mean, luckily, I don't think anybody thinks he's going to go on to the NBA. He's definitely a career college coach. So that mm-hmm. bodes well for us. Um, but, man, you, you just better enjoy it while we have it because uh, – uh,
0: Sorry,
1: cutting out a little. Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, you said uh, – you were saying that we better enjoy him.
1: Yeah, we better enjoy him. I mean, it's – he took a team that nobody wanted to go see when he first got hired to Final Four last year, Elite Eight. I mean, he's hes a really good coach
0: yeah and I think that Oregon is really one of those underrated coaching jobs I think like Oregon (coughs) basketball and like Texas basketball are like the maybe the two best college basketball coaching jobs because you have a ton of the money a ton of the resources and like no real expectations like, Oregon could, like, suck this next year. And nobody, there's not going to be a loud number of people who are losing their cool over it. Whereas if that would happen at, like, Duke or North Carolina, like, heads would be rolling. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I totally understand. I mean, it's... Like, you're not under a microscope and you get, like, all the perks.
1: I would tend to agree. I think they're... Who would I compare Oregon to? part of me thinks this this isn't a great comparison but part of me thinks that our program is kind of like a they're kind of like a Miami or a Florida State like they're in areas that people want to go to although Tallahassee nobody wants to go there um they have you know a really strong brand and they have money behind them and boosters they have a lot of support when they get good teams, but at the same time you know if a basketball team underperforms for a couple years at Oregon at Florida State, at Miami nobody's really going to freak out because we all know who runs things at those schools you know, and that's true of a lot of programs with Division 1 football Um, the other program that I was kind of thinking about Although they have uh, much more history than Oregon, at least recent history, is uh, is Michigan. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, they play a lot different style, obviously. Um, But if Michigan has a down year, you know, as long as they beat Ohio State, no big deal, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, pretty much everybody that donates to Michigan you know why they're donating they're donating for the big house seats you know yeah um but with that being said there's a lot of opportunity at oregon with i mean there's it's no doubt that eugene is placed great place to live coach allman is a great coach who's put together a really wonderful staff and you could see that in consistently the staff is getting picked up for other jobs um He plays in a system that's conducive to getting some good stats while also playing as a team to make sure everybody kind of shares the ball and touches the rock. Um, I mean, it's an attractive job, and it's an attractive place to go if you're a recruit. Mm -hmm. One thing that I've thought is interesting, and we'll get to this a little bit later, uh, because it's one of the other big stories recently in the last couple weeks, is how different the recruiting style of Coach Alvin and his staff is from the recruiting style of Coach Taggart and his staff. Now, they're both getting the job done, at least on the early returns for Coach Taggart. Uh-huh. But I think it's super interesting to see that um, discrepancy between the two of them. Mm-hmm. All
0: right, well, that, I think that might be a good way to transition into football recruiting. Hmm. I'm fired up. It's,
1: it's it's not a big deal. There, there really hasn't been a whole lot going on.
0: I am... It's really hard not to get too excited about how it's gone so far because this is, like, brand new. Like, when have we had a weekend where six four-stars committed?
1: I mean, it's... It's unbelievable. In one weekend, we had six four-stars, seven total recruits. And then like five days after that weekend, we had a 6'3", 320-pound defensive tackle from a Juco commit who apparently runs a 4'9", or was it 4'7"? I don't know. It's fast for a human that big.
0: And then the number one JUCO tight end in the country.
1: I mean, it is unbelievable. Um, So, I I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still kind of in shock.
0: I always felt that Oregon should be higher than like low 20s or high 20s, low 30s. So I kept seeing some schools like North Carolina State and stuff like that. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Granted, they're in, like, closer of hotbeds and everything. But I didn't think it was going to be like this. The way it's going so far. And it's also known well, too, because now there's the early signing periods. On December 20th, athletes can sign letters of intent.
1: Lock them up. I, I think what this does more than anything is it dispels the... Idea that just because Oregon happens happens to be a uh, long distance away from the traditional hotbeds of Southern California and the South and Texas, that we can't recruit those areas and recruit them successfully. Um, I mean that the people that we the the kids that we just got commitments for, there was one in state, two from. Two of the four stars are from California, one is from Florida, one is from North Carolina, and one is from Colorado. Denver. Yeah, I mean that, and it kind of makes sense. But it, I'll admit, in the past, I was one of those people that thought, uh, you know, a, a top fifteen probably ceiling as a rookie, um, and that may not be the case anymore. Um, which, but it makes sense when you look at other areas of sports. I mean, now in the NBA as a free agent, you don't necessarily need to go to a New York or an LA or even a Miami. I mean, if you, with social, you can grow your brand all alone. You can stay connected with people back home from Twitter or Snapchat or whatever. Um, so, Maybe that distance from those traditional hotbeds, maybe it's not as important anymore. And I think it certainly helps with how proficient this staff is on social media. Um, maybe, Because I yeah. yeah,
0: I think once you get on a plane, it really doesn't matter how far away you are. Like, if, if you have to get on a plane to go somewhere, it really doesn't matter whether it's like – a couple, whether it's like Nevada or like, like Pennsylvania, like you're getting on a plane.
1: Exactly. It's, you're going to spend the whole day traveling one way or the other, whether you're it's a two hour flight or a six hour flight. I mean, in my opinion, it's not that big of a deal. Um, and you know, like I said, I was totally wrong in terms of, I thought it was our ceiling was much lower because of our location uh, than what the staff is proving it to be. Now we just have to hope that they keep in contact with these kids and the verbal commitments actually turn into signed letters of intent. But if they do, man, we're going to have some really good classes in the next couple of years.
0: I think here's one of my favorite things too that's not been pointed out is that – of the stars that we got one was a four star running back two four star safeties uh, a four star outside linebacker and then two four star defensive backs like we just signed three other four star defensive backs and then we got these new guys coming on. like oh no we'll go too we'll do it too
1: it's cool. We'll gray shirt him.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I just, I just really like that attitude also um, amongst guys. Like, it's the same reason why people go to USC and Alabama, where it's like, I really don't care who's already there because I'm gonna be, I'm gonna do better than they do.
1: Yeah, I enjoy that. Um, you know, it's it. It'd be interesting to see if that's something that the staff is using in their coaching pitches. Basically saying, you know, yeah, we're going to be stacked, but you're a competitor. You could get playing time. You know, if if you earn playing time, you could get it. Uh, it, It'd be interesting to see what they're saying in those meetings. Um, I'm just excited. It's gonna be it's gonna be really fun. Now, one thing that I saw pop up in the last maybe day and a half or so Mm -hmm. that I want to, I don't know if you have thoughts on this. Um, but it's kind of come out that it the a lot of the guys, not a lot of the guys, but a number of the guys that Tagger recruited to USF.
0: I was just um,
1: that. Were, we're getting in trouble, whether it was assault charges or like a gun charge or whatever. Um, you know, I don't know if, off the top of my head all the all the different stuff. Uh, um, does that? concern you does that um do you think that reflects on coach tagger and his recruiting philosophy um i mean because in the past the program has been very key on you know you have to be a certain character type person to come play here but at the same time in the last year we've had a number of high-profile incidents, whether it was like DUIs or drug charges or whatever. Um, I mean, is is that concerning to you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm really under no illusions that like, no matter how much we can say like, oh, so-and-so needs to be like a disciplinarian or like, so and so doesn't have in control of the team. It's like there are over 118 to 23 year olds who are like living on their own for the first time and are dealing with a fair amount of like fame in a in like a localized sense. Like kids do dumb stuff, and it doesn't always matter like who the coach is and everything. Like, people get dismissed from Alabama every once in a while. No one's like Saban lost control of his team, pal. That only happens after losses, never after arrests.
1: It's always mark Brick.
0: Yeah, uh, and I mean it does because, like, I want to root for a team that still like does things the right way. Like, I just I just don't know. I just don't want. I don't want Jameis Winston's. I don't want. Uh, like Joe Nixon, Mixon, Joe Mixon, yeah, yeah. I don't want I don't want guys like that, and it's it's also important too because it's not like we're gonna have like <laughs> the coaches getting Deweys. and you know you have like somebody doing like a drug in their car, like Colt Laiara doing drugs or whatever. Those are kind of like all isolated incidents, and the USF guys, it's like armed robbery and stuff like that
1: yeah it's a it's been a bit, bit of a step up um what i think is interesting about it is uh twofold one i thought it was interesting in coach taggart's opening press conference where you know he made it very clear like you're going to be a high quality person and you're not going to do drugs and you're not gonna you're going to respect women and all this type of stuff you know it it was an interesting news piece in contrast to that opening press conference um that was thing number one thing number two is like i mean yes i'm concerned about um but i'm also kind of under the impression of like a let's see how it plays out here as opposed to at usf and b i mean you're right Football is a different animal with how large the team is. Mm. There's no way coach or any of the staffers can possibly be keeping tabs on every single player at every single moment of the day. You know, it's not like a basketball team where it's
0: like 15 it's people, 13 guys, and five yeah.
1: coaches. So I think what matters more is if there is a situation that comes up and and it's really not a matter of if. It's really a matter of when because, mm-hmm. like you said, I mean, it's 18 to 22-year-old guys. People are going to do stupid stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Especially when, when there's a, underage drinking, which happens. That's college. Like it happens. When a
1: situation comes up, I think it's more important to see how Coach Taggart and the rest of his staff react to that mm-hmm. um, and kind of like what example they set. Uh, <laughs> in those, like, first one or two incidents, they kind of set a tone. You know, do they kind of let it slide and do the whole, um, oh, well, we took care of it internally thing, or do they kind of make an example and say, no, this is how we do things here. So I think that'll be interesting. Um, You know, I'm not terribly worried about it, but it is something that I thought was of note. Um, Let's kind of shift gears, because... Not everybody cares about recruiting. Uh, what do you think about the spring game? Were, were you at the spring game,
0: or did you I was watch not? I had other commitments that day that kept me from going down to it. I heard yeah. positive things. Oh. Um, I heard the energy, like on the sidelines and stuff, was really high. There's there the like, yeah, there's definitely like a lot of excitement on the team, and seems like guys were really. Enjoying being out there playing. So that was like the biggest thing that I couldn't get from TV. But I mean, it's really hard to tell because, like, get a good gauge on anything just because they've had 15 practices. They've basically had 30 hours of playing football together with Taggart.
1: Yeah. So I agree in terms of like the energy on the sidelines. I it on TV. I don't live in Oregon anymore, so obviously I couldn't make it back. Um,
0: well, you could have, but you just chose not to.
1: Yeah, fair. Like we were talking about, it's just a plane ride, no big deal. Yeah. Uh, watching on TV, the energy on the sidelines, like at least at the start, feel a little manufactured. Maybe. Uh, but at the end, you know when um when they scored that last minute touchdown you could tell that that was genuine and that that was good to see you know it's it's good to see the kids just be excited about playing football and it wasn't just what you could see on the scrimmage i mean i think every single interview that they did over the course of the game whether it was with Justin Herbert or Troy Die or Royce Freeman everybody mentioned the increase in enthusiasm and, you know, being excited to get out and play. Um, I mean, even you know, Troy, I mentioned last year guys not really wanting to go to the building. Um, I mean, that's, that's really not a good sign. And that's, <laughs>
0: it's really
1: not. <laughs> it's really bad. So, uh, seeing guys just excited about going and competing was, uh, was really good. Um, A couple of my main takeaways was, I don't know about you, I I don't see how Justin Herbert could possibly not be the starter this year. Oh, there's no Uh, way. I mean, there was pretty clear QB separation in my mind. Um, Herbert was delivering balls on time. He was delivering balls in the right spots. Um, You know, with the exception of he had one overthrow – to a tight end on a really easy t- TD, um, he was also doing little things that well. That I mean, he had showed his growth as a quarterback over the past year. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a really good job keeping his eyes downfield when he was rolling out, which um, I liked. The play calling of doing some early rollouts for Herbert and the rest of the quarterbacks to kind of get them in rhythm.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, you know, Travis Johnson had a really beautiful ball to Dylan Mitchell. Uh, but oh, overall, yeah. I thought he was more inconsistent. Um, and then I think Braxton Burmeister. I think it's pretty clear that he's probably the future. I mean, he has great speed for a court, for a young quarterback. He had good pocket awareness. He was able to scramble, keep his eyes downfield. He's a really fluid strider uh, when he when he chose to run. Um, so I was really impressed by most of the quarterbacks. Uh, I mean, there was a little bit of inconsistency there early in the game, um, but they all showed flashes of of why they're there and why they're competing for a job.
0: <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, because I, I was reading a bunch about because Travis Johnson got moved to the practice roster last year, and he like really took – ownership of like I'm just not up to I'm just not playing well and it's my responsibility to get playing time and then I was reading that he was getting reps with ones and I know the coaches came in really high on Terry Wilson Jr. who's now transferred or is now transferring and is no longer on the team Um, and I always thought because like I think we've seen a ton I mean we've already seen it where a ton of players who we didn't hear about last year are now getting a lot of playing time or a lot more buzz now that there's the new coaching staff. And so, different coaching, different players perform under different coaching staffs and so, it's like, maybe Travis Johnson is actually pushing Herbert now that he's got like this new set of coaches because um, he was getting more and more reps of the ones. And after watching the spring game, it is one practice, but I just think uh, Tiger might be trying to artificially increase the competition um, for the quarterback role, because apparently Taggartson, in an interview, his one concern with Herbert was like his leadership and that he wasn't vocal enough. So
1: yeah, it's it's not like we've had any quarterbacks in the past recent years that weren't super vocal and turned out to be okay. I yeah,
0: couldn't, couldn't
1: really think of any.
0: I just think that I just think there's so much like so many so much dogma around the quarterback position. That's like as long as you don't get as long as the guy that's in there is always pretty level headed and doesn't like freak out and like leads by example or just like does all the right stuff, I feel like that accomplishes the goal We need sure. money ball quarterback. Yeah. It's uh I don't know. I think Hurry will figure it out. I think he'll figure it out so
1: um, it'll be interesting though I mean it, you're right it is only one practice and this time last year it was Dakota Pukup who was you know the guaranteed starter and you know boy he was going to be great for us and you know we saw how that worked out so
0: to be fair the know, offense was not the problem yes the offense was doing I, I, really well it was still limited because he didn't even, he didn't have like touchdown passes a few games.
1: Although we did see um in the spring game we we started to see a glimpse of how the offense is gonna be different than it has been in the past. Yeah. Um I mean one one of the most major things that you I noticed right away was how much more power and counter running we were using. Um I mean, it it almost felt like we were getting back to the kind of early Chip Kelly-style playing of run, 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 and then eventually do a play-action pass. Um, We did a lot of counter-runs using a pulling guard. Um, There were times where we even did a guard and a tackle at the same time or a guard and a tight end at the same time. Um, You know, some combo of those three. Um, And with how fast our line is I think that's something that could be super successful yeah. um, and in it I mean we even saw some plays that looked like Stanford where we had three running backs in the backfield and even Elijah George at the lineman in the backfield right I'm yeah. sure.
0: there were three guys in the backfield but two of them were really like offensive linemen yeah I'm uh, did you see how wide the splits were too on those plays
1: they were giant. They were like two and a half yards.
0: Yeah, I was looking at it. I was like, I don't know how this is going to work. I mean, it did, but I was just like, how is this, How's this going to work? So it was,
1: yeah, I thought that was interesting to see. Um, you know, it, it, it's still certainly an up-tempo offense. Um, oh, yeah. But it's it's an up-tempo offense with tweaks. It's certainly more run-first. Yeah. Um, and I thought the offensive line performed very well, with the exception of uh, a color, a couple botched snaps, which you know, please don't bring back memories. Uh, but I, I'm excited about the offense. I I thought, um, I thought it, they certainly sewed stuff to build off of.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of run pass uh, option plays in there, too. There was a lot of bubble screens where they just bunched all the receivers to like one side of the field. Um,
1: Those reminded me of the, uh, the couple plays in the Rose Bowl. The first one to Darren Carrington where he scored on it, and then the second one where Keenan Lowe was celebrating before the ball even left Marcus's hand.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I miss his celebrations.
1: Uh, I love Keenan Lowe. He was great. Um, one thing I oh there was before, also we
0: also saw the pistol formation. That's right. A we fair did amount because and that made sense. I saw uh, some of that in like like uh, gifs of uh, spring ball and stuff and like Oregon Live doing some videos, which makes sense because Crystal Ball really wants to do downhill blocking. I mean Tiger does too, but. They want to get downfield and that makes a lot of sense because it's basically just getting in an eye it's basically for the running back the same thing as the quarterback coming from under center. So I'm I'm pretty excited about about that also. Just the way they were using the tight ends, um, I think was cool. Although it's really uh could be a significant problem because uh we only have one tight end that got reps last year on the team. Yeah. And apparently,
1: he was killing it in spring ball. Yeah, you know, we – he, he – I'm blanking on his name. Um, really? Yes. So, I mean, he looked good in the spring game. Um, depth is always an issue if he gets injured or anything like that. Um, but I know we we had a couple of recruits coming in, so we'll see how it works out. Um, I mean – last year was by far the exception rather than rule to have three quality tight ends on the roster who had all played at least a pretty significant role over their careers. Yeah. Uh, so that's really just part of the college game in my opinion is, you know, you'll have ups and downs in terms of experience. Um, one other thing that I noticed that was interesting about the offense is um, I don't think the sideline used play cards anymore to call plays.
0: Interesting. I didn't even notice that.
1: Yeah, um, that was just one of those like little subtle differences that I didn't really... Uh, that I just picked up on, which I don't know how much that matters in terms of like tempo and how fast we can go or whatever. Um, but I just thought that was interesting. little break with tradition.
0: Yeah. I mean, it could also be that they know only a few plays so
1: yeah yeah, right. but
0: that would be interesting because I know so many teams now use play cards
1: man if we get rid of them I'm going to miss seeing Neil Everett's face on the sideline
0: yeah man those were the days oh my god how sad was it though when all the win the day posters came down or all the win the day signage came down and it was all do something signage
1: yeah I'm not going
0: to lie that was, that was right in the fields.
1: That was a big bummer. Because though
0: those our... that was when we were in college. Yeah. The glory days of Chip Kelly just running it down on people. Just ruthless. Just like, with no regard for human life. Like uh, the USC Halloween night uh, game where Jeremiah Masoli, they they weren't even running zone read at the end of that game. They were just like straight up running over uh USC lineman and then the Michael James ran between a tackle blocking a linebacker. So like the the tackles engaged with the linebacker and the Michael James literally ran like under their arms. He literally uh, ran between them. Like the two people going into each other. You just like split the middle.
1: You're just completely memory baiting right now.
0: Yeah. God, those were the days. Those were
1: the well, days. Let's, uh, let's talk about the defense a little bit and, and yeah. what we say on this game. 3-4, um,
0: huge fan.
1: 3-4, big fan. And with that, um, I am a big fan, at least of the early returns, of the duck linebacker spot. That kind of oh. high linebacker safety that was split between uh, Fotu Leatu and Lamar Winston Jr., um, I think that <laughs> fotu may be making the jump from a special team stud to a absolute defensive terror because he was all over the field. Yeah, uh, And I think it was, I'm, I'm forgetting which of the, um, commenters it was. But regardless, it doesn't really matter. Um, one of them was talking about that duck linebacker spot and the kind of hybrid safety uh, role, and I think it was Jeff Schwartz, and how it was really a perfect fit for the Pac-12. And I, oh yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, with how many spread offenses there there are in the Pac-12 at this point, you need to be able to cover. Uh, we saw the success of the three-three-five. Arizona and their ability to to move the field and to do that at all, that yeah. could be a really huge plus for our defense.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I mean I was I was a huge fan of Foto Lealto Lealto, Whatever. Either. Out of uh, out of high school. Like, I love him, I believe it's
1: actually, I- Mario Ta.
0: <laughs> Mario Ta. Um and I remember loving him out of high school, and so he was kind of relegated though to kickoff and punt coverage, where where he killed it. Where I also loved watching him play, um, but I just think like he's like I think he's one of the biggest winners of the new coaching staff, like who have a position that perfectly fits him because he was one of those guys looking at his high school film where it's like he just mentally gets football. Like, it's one of those things where it's, like, kind of intuitive of, like, okay, I see this happening, so that means that I should just do this. Like, it just happens naturally. What he's got, just what like I a nose that, for it.
1: That duck linebacker spot, too, is yeah. it's not just two. It's also his backup, Lamar Winston Jr., who, who was a recruit. He was I think he was, like, a four-star last year. yeah He made plays in the spring game. He got at least one or two sacks... Got a couple pass breakups. I mean that that maybe it's just that spot, but both of those guys were everywhere on the field.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, one hundred percent agree. And it's it really, a
1: little bit. Uh, sorry, go ahead.
0: It really reminds me of Eddie Pleasant because he was originally a safety who moved to linebacker. He was one of the faster guys on the team, and he was he came in as a safety, moved to linebacker, and so it was like him, uh, Matthews, Kiko Alonso, um, and who's the other guy I'm trying to think of right now? Pasinger. Yes. Yeah, and so Pacinger and Eddie Pleasant were the two outside guys.
1: I mean, and, really, what it?
0: And so that the, I just remember how much of a player... How much of a playmaker eddie pleasant was just being able to run around or just having so much speed Who could also like have the physical abilities to be by the line of scrimmage not necessarily dominate but he's like a hybrid player that covers those hybrid tight ends what
1: i'm excited about that spot and that that position is i really view it like the equivalent of the old offensive taser position where yeah you basically just put a fast guy there, and their job is to cause havoc. And yeah. I think as as good as that position was on the offensive side of the ball with guys like DeAnthony, um, that purpose really fits more on a defensive side of the ball. If you could tell a guy, just just go cause havoc. Yeah, um, I mean that that's exciting and and that's what you want as a defensive player. You want to just line up and just go get, um, something that Arian Springs, I thought did wonderfully to cap off a spring that a lot of people said was, he was probably the best player on the team. Um, I mean that guy, first of all, I can't believe that Arian Springs is going to be a senior. That's like crazy to me. Um, but number two, from a guy that has been—he's had his ups and downs. I mean, last year he—he he even wasn't starting at points. He's—he's um, he's turned into a, a player. He had a really good spring, and, I, and I'm excited to see how he does this year because all signs point to that he's—he's kind of got that ball hawk energy back.
0: Yeah, I think this is just me hypothesizing I think he might have been one of those guys that checked out halfway through through last year because I remember in the Colorado game um maybe it was it was a Colorado Washington Colorado and Washington where uh and I don't know for sure this is something that just stood out to me where like Brennan score and like somebody else was just getting after guys on defense. And I know there was a lot of yelling at Springs at times. And I almost wonder if he just kind of like checked out. Cause it was with like after that where, uh, maybe it was a hamstring issue that somebody brought up also. But I don't remember hearing any injury issues about him. Like, cause then it was after the cow game where he like wasn't playing anymore.
1: Yeah. Well, um, you know, it, it, it may be that the coaching change came at the best time for him. Uh, cause he certainly looks like he's responded well to it. So yeah, I, things are good on that front. I mean, he had two pass breakups, at least just off the top of my head. One that led to a, an interception by Billy Gibson. He had one interception, one very nearly missed interception, uh, where he broke well on the ball and the ball just went through his hands. um, One other missed interception where he was all alone, the the receiver ran the round route, and he just happened to drop it. So, you know, part of that, obviously, is luck. I mean, that last one, if a receiver runs the right route, then it's not going to be that same situation. Um, But he was just another one of those guys that was always around the ball. Um, Who... Which of the freshmen are you most excited about for this upcoming season? Uh, Fat Mac. Easy.
0: Fat Mac, yeah. Oh, one thing, one thing I want to touch on real fast. So yeah. I definitely think Springs and some of the defensive backs are really going to thrive under this new coaching system. Uh, because I don't think with the way – just the overall strategy of the defense – was really doing anybody any favors last year. I just don't think anybody was really in a position to be playing well. Um, and I pulled up this article. It's from it's from like a few months ago, um, and this guy wrote about uh, how quickly like love it uh, li- leave it might be able to turn around the defense. And so he says in the article, he talks about how. With Pelham, the defense had really good strategy, but nobody knew what they were doing. And with Hoke, everybody knew what they were doing, but there was no strategy. Um, and he cites this example from the Cal game, where he goes he goes through uh, Cal's offensive stats. He's like, yeah, this is really good defense for somebody who's playing against that. Yeah, like Oregon held Webb to 325 yards on 61 passes, only 5.3 yards per attempt, which normally means that you would demolish an air raid team, except for the running backs went for 302 yards on five, on 51 carries, for six yards a carry. And so he 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 lines up this play okay. oh. where okay. it, which, oh yeah it's a cow. So he has this formation. He has this play drawn out that went for like a really long run. Um, it was like trips to the right, to the wide side of the field. Um, and it was like an outside zone uh, going uh, towards the boundary. And um, the diagram was like, so they have die playing here, or they have the Sam linebacker playing here, which is die, And this guy playing here to cover the trips. Uh, um, and he goes, on the play here, Oregon has shaded free safety Brennan Score. And middle linebacker A.J. Hodgkins over to the trips receiver side leaving weak side linebacker Daquan McDowell alone in the box. There's so much that's unsound about this approach it's frankly quite shocking. Is McDowell supposed to defend both the field A gap and the boundary B gap? Is the boundary DE supposed to force the ball back inside? His aggressive play up the field sure put McDowell in a bind when the B gap between the left tackle and guard was expanded by his absence from the line of scrimmage. The last time I saw a defense attempt an approach to run defense this outdated against an area team, Tavon Austin was running for 344 yards against Oklahoma.
1: That's not ideal.
0: Yeah, I laughed really hard when he said, there's so much that doesn't sound about this approach. It's frankly quite shocking because I'm just imagining him writing this, being like, (laughs) like having that confused look on his face, like, why, why is he doing this? I don't know. That's you ever
1: like something, and you just get indignant about it, where you're just like, why, 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 why would you do that? That Happens all the time. (laughs) That's that's the reaction.
0: And. uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was yeah. Cause I remember last time being like, some of this just, some of this stuff on defense just doesn't just doesn't make sense. I'm not a football coach, but something doesn't feel right about this.
1: Well, and that's the thing on defense. Like, it's always, it's always hard because you never quite know what's going on. What what the play call was. Like, did somebody blow an assignment, or was that their actual assignment? So it's always hard to judge but um yeah i agree there were there were some things a lot of things last year that you just look at and you're like huh yeah let's end on a positive
0: note so oh, you're excited no no fact- yeah and so i so but i made i said i said a statement in the comments on an article talking about the defense on the spring game and I said yeah I referenced the article I was like yeah Pelham uh, had good game plans but nobody knew what they were doing uh, um, Hoke had no game plans but people knew what they were doing so by virtue of having a good game plan and people knowing what they're doing it's probably a huge plus now do not mean that to come off as a joke (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't until some follow up comments was like oh that's actually really funny I totally admit that in all seriousness, it's like, oh no, it's fine. People know what they're doing now, and we got a we got a good game plan. It, it makes sense. Hey, man.
1: The funniest comedy lies in truth.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I'm really fired up. Um, I'm really excited for some of the recruits to hit campus because we saw Darian McNeil play. He got a few receptions. It's really fast. That um, guy is, fast. and there's like five other little. Little guys, just like him, that are like five, nine, 170 pounds.
1: You know who I'm excited for?
0: It's like when the Cleveland Browns drafted seven wide receivers in the draft, and like all of them made the team. It's like well, it was like trial by fire. Like, all right, we got we got we got five of you little guys. Three of you are gonna stay. You guys figure I mean, it out.
1: T- to be fair, the, the Cleveland Browns didn't have any wide receivers, so they had to do that, but. Uh, you know, uh, I, I get it's your point. Yeah. You know who I'm excited about? Other I'm than excited. Fat Mac. Well, other than Fat Mac, because Fat Mac's uh, obligatory, uh, if only because his nickname. Um, I'm excited to hear from Rancho Cucamonga, California, again. The hometown of Duck favorite Patrick Chung, Thomas Graham Jr. That guy is going to be a stud. He had a couple very good pass breakups, uh, one on Dylan Mitchell. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, certainly some growing pains. Uh, He got burned by Darren Carrington for Carrington's first touchdown of the game. Um, But that will happen when you're going against the number one wide receiver on the team. Uh, I'm I'm stoked about him. I'm definitely stoked about Fat Mac because how could you not be? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right, Darian McNeil looks. What what struck me most about him, not just how fast he was, but also how much trust it seemed that Herbert had in him so quickly. Yeah, uh, that that was good to see.
0: Yeah, I'm, um, and so. And then, uh, so I was also reading this article, um, from like Oregon Live about the Ducks whose stock rose, and it was Ugo Amadi was one who was getting some first team reps at the end of the spring. Um, and he was one of four free agents that coaches made who could pick which team they were going to play on. Um, Brady Breeze was another guy that got brought up, um. Jacob Copra was a guy that Chris Ball apparently really likes a lot. Um, Troy Dye getting moved into inside linebacker. Um,
1: that should be interesting. I can't believe we haven't really talked about that. Yeah,
0: it's... Uh, I mean, it makes sense if he doesn't have the coverage skills. And he does seem like one of those people, though, that could do like an awesome job inside. He seems like your prototypical linebacker, like inside linebacker?
1: When I, I think he has... You know, it's kind of hard to tell without seeing him up close, but it seems like he has the frame to pack on some muscle as well. Yeah. I mean, he's, he, he was only a freshman last year. So I think if he spends the summer in the gym, he could come back a little bit bulked up and better able to Um, better able to handle fighting in the trenches that you'll need to do at that inside linebacker spot.
0: Yeah. And he was one of the guys, too, last year that was one of the real leaders on defense, like getting after some people, but also being like one of the first people to really celebrate like any real successes. Yeah, we need that. Yeah, Malik Levitt at wide receiver, who's apparently one of the fastest guys. I'm stoked about him. Another name was Blake Ruggauff. Ruggauff.
1: He was he making tackles all over the field during this program. Yeah. Uh, and maybe it's just you know recruiting overload or something, but I had kind of forgotten about who he was. Um, But he could be an interesting – you know, I don't think he's going to push for a starting spot um, at that inside linebacker with – we have Dye there. We have Hotchkiss there. um, But he could could be a a really valuable depth piece because he was definitely – he was moving around the field. You know who he kind of reminded me of? Um, Was Michael Clay, a guy that wasn't super fast. But he was always there. He was always in the right spot. Yeah. RuGraff kind of reminded me of that. So
0: we'll see. Who, who, um, was, who was the linebacker that we were really glad graduated? Oh.
1: Uh, man. I'm completely spacing on it now.
0: What was that guy's um,
1: name? To be honest, even if I could remember it, I probably wouldn't want to, like, call him out on a podcast.
0: Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll look it up and I'll text you.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll try and figure that out. Bye. So, yeah. uh Any more final thoughts? I That's kind of all I got. We've been, this what, an hour at this point?
0: Yeah, we're just about at 55 minutes.
1: it's well, not bad.
0: Yeah, it's... uh. I don't know I'm really excited there's so much like energy especially just like from all the different players and everything um of I just it's just seems like it's everything is headed in the right direction like what grade would you give the coaches so far or what grade would you give Taggart since he's overseeing everything
1: um i probably say B minus A plus Um, the only things that are taking away from him to me are kind of that bumpy start that he had with um, you know the the players getting hospitalized for Robdo and uh, one of his hires getting a DUI and all that type of stuff like uh, that he had kind of a rocky start um, but everything since then has been very positive. The recruiting has certainly been uh, something that I don't think that we've ever seen before at Oregon um, so I'd probably lean more towards like the a minus side of that uh, uh-huh. He's done a really, really good job. What about you?
0: I think it's an a minus, and that's just because of like the I don't know. There's something that still seems wrong to me about the coaching deweys that happen so fast. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean. I mean that may not be fair, but that's just how I feel.
1: No, I agree. You know, when you're the leader of a program, eventually everything comes back to you. Um, it's hard for me to like. Completely pin responsibility for that on a guy who wasn't in the car, who wasn't getting the Dewey himself. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's you know it, it's certainly a, a negative in his early tenure thus far. But um, you know, I, I think he's responded well to the things that have been challenging. Um, I mean, he kind of made up with Andrew Grife who had written that really harsh article about the sending the players to the hospital. Um, you know, he's, it seems like he's doing the right thing. So.
0: I didn't even think that article was that bad to be honest. It was like grueling workouts and I read that I really was like, yeah, that's what workouts are supposed to be.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a little sensationalistic, but, uh, I didn't think it was stepping out of bounds personally. It no. wasn't a Rosano piece.
0: No, or Fentress.
1: Ugh. Don't even get me started. <laughs>
0: All right. I think that's a good enough to end on. Don't even get me started. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is great. It's been a while. This is, uh, hopefully by mid June, my schedule will have freed up a bunch more and I'll be able to, uh, get a few more of these in. So, uh, yeah, this was great. We should do this more often. Indeed. Now that we've hit uh, the worst part of the college sports season where there's literally nothing happening. That's all right. We'll just talk about the Blazers. Cool. All right. That'll do it for uh, me. That's Efo Bumaye, and we will talk to you guys again soon.